Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you could share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also now help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, such as access to a private Discord discussion group, access to bonus episodes, merchandise discounts in the merch store that will launch in the coming weeks, and the ability to submit priority questions ahead of time for interview guests and more. Your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 34. The Cubs continue to play good ball and are now beginning a 10-game stretch against the Marlins and the Nationals. Hopefully they can continue to stack up series wins. This week I look back at what the Cubs have been doing over the last week and talk about the roster changes made in the last couple of days and what those might mean going forward. I get into some players who have already shown some performance extremes, and then I break down some catching metrics between Jan Gomes and Tucker Barnhart. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. Hey, it was another pretty good week for the Cubs. After losing three out of four to the Dodgers, the Cubs rebounded by taking two out of three from San Diego in Wrigley Field. The Cubs recently finished playing the Dodgers for seven and the Padres for three, and between those two teams, the Cubs split the ten games five and five. I'll take it. Um, the Cubs continue to play pretty good baseball. They're among the highest scoring team in baseball. They are the highest scoring team in the National League at the moment. The pitching continues to be strong. The defense is good. And the Cubs are surprising a lot of people. Um, of all the teams in baseball, the Cubs are one of the top teams to, as far as increasing their playoff odds. They came into the season with 6.5% odds by fan graphs of making the playoffs. And now they're up to 28.6. I don't know if this start's going to hold. They're getting some They're getting some really good performances. Wisdom was out of his mind for a couple weeks. He's sort of coming back to earth a little bit. Um, but a lot of guys have just been good. Nick Madrigal is consistently putting the ball in play. Nico Horner has gotten on base 23 straight games at the leadoff spot. Um, Dansby Swanson's been a little up and a little down. He got off to a really quick start. Has slumped a little bit lately. Um, Cody Bellinger has been swinging a good bat after kind of a slow start. But... There's reasons to start believing in this team at this point. And now you're starting to see that with roster changes. So last week I had Greg Huss on and we talked about the power down at AAAI. We talked about the power bats, the way Christopher Morell is crushing the baseball, Matt Mervis, Nelson Velasquez. And then on the pitching side, we talked about the power arms. He talked about Riley Thompson a little bit as a starting pitcher. But mostly we looked at the bullpen and, and guys like Cam Sanders and Jeremiah Estrada and... Vinny Natoli and Nick Birdie are all putting up, and Anthony Kay are all putting up great numbers, a lot of swing and miss at Iowa. And we speculated on when things would start to change. Well, we sort of got our answer. So Cody Bellinger missed three games uh, with the birth of his second second child. It was a daughter. Um, sounds like everybody's happy and healthy, so congratulations to Cody and family. So when he stepped away, Nelson Velasquez came up, and, man, that kid is on Fire. He is 7 for 11 this year in the major leagues with three home runs. He is just killing the baseball. So there was a big question when Bellinger was going to return. Does that mean that Nelson Velasquez was going to get sent down? Well, no. 
Uh, we saw the answer yesterday. The Cubs designated Luis Torrens for assignment. He's a guy that the Cubs, I think, wanted to have up for catcher depth. They wanted to have his potential power bat in the lineup. He had a really good spring training. But when push came to shove, you know, the Cubs are, you know, they're, they're 14, 11, they're 25 games in. It's been about a month. When you start getting towards 30, 40, 50 games, you start to play out a little bit as far as the sample sizes go. And the Cubs have shown a willingness to move on from guys. I talked about this in the past. We talked about it all last year. Um, I, while I still think they hung on to some of the guys too long, last year they did move away from Jonathan VR. They let Eduardo Vargas go. They cut Andleton Simmons. They moved on from Frank Schwindel. They eventually moved away from Rafael Ortega. They moved away from Jason Hayward. So I knew more of this was coming, and it was sort of obvious that the three who were kind of most in the crosshairs were Torrens, um, Edwin Rios, and probably someone like Julian Merriweather in the bullpen. And maybe Eric Hosmer. We talked a lot, Greg and I talked a lot about Eric Hosmer, too. I think he's hitting a little bit better. He did hit a home run the other day. But there's just not enough offense there. And this team needs a little bit more jolt. I mean, they have good pitching, and the, I think the pitching is going to hold up most of the year. But this team's going to have to be able to score four or five runs pretty consistently to stay in the playoff race. And there's just not a lot more upside on the team um, as far as who's in Chicago. I mean, Cody Ballinger is probably already doing more than we could have expected given his recent couple-year track record. We're getting great performance out of Nico Horner. He continues to develop into a top-level offensive player. We've got Dansby Swanson, who got off to a really an uncharacteristically hot start for him. He's traditionally a bad hitter in April, but now the weather's starting to warm up, and he did have that early early spring start, and we'll, we'll see where he goes from here, but his bat's going to be fine. And Patrick Wisdom did set the world on fire, so... In, in some ways, we're not going to get a lot more out of the guys we have. Um, Trey Mancini started cold. He's starting to come around. He's a guy who's who's going to hit and hit for a lot of power, I think, this year. But we to see roster changes, Greg and I talked about wanting to see some of those guys, Christopher Morrell, Velasquez, Mervis, come up to the bigs and just be potentially bigger sticks, another bigger variance players. Um, Matt Mervis definitely has potential for a lower floor than Eric Hosmer does. He does not have a great reputation defensively, and there's no guarantee when he comes up that he's going to be able to hit major league pitching. I think he'll be able to, and we need to find that out relatively soon. But hitting major league pitching is really, really, really hard. And he's, I think Mervis has done about all he can at the AAA level. He's getting pitched around all the time. He's probably the most feared hitter in AAA right now. So he needs to come up and see what he can do against big league pitching. But it's possible he could come up and really get eaten up. I mean, we saw a young Anthony Rizzo come up and really struggle and spend time back in the minor leagues before he he came up for real. So it's about getting that clock started, but it's that variance. Like Mervis could have a lower floor, but he also could have a much higher ceiling than Eric Hosmer. Hosmer just doesn't hit for power. He doesn't elevate balls. And Matt Mervis's game is all about power. You know, he could come up here and provide a real spark off the bench um, I don't really want him to be a bench player, but he's a guy who doesn't have to start at first base every day to make an impact. He could start a couple games a week at first base, DH two, three times a week. And as long as he's playing four to five times a week in Chicago, I think that's probably a really good place to be. He doesn't necessarily have to be the everyday starter, lock him in against all pitching matchups. You know, some fans will want that. And if he hits enough and he warrants it, then sure, go ahead. But he really needs to be, and Christopher Morrell will be in the same boat, need to be 40, 50%. But Mervis, unlike Morrell, has a pretty solid K rate in the minor leagues. I think he's 
low 20s, I want to say 23, 24%. His walk rate was pushing 20%. I think it's back down to about 17, 18% right now. But he's willing to take pitches, look for what he wants, and hit it hard when he does. So Torrens is, is a good sign. So when Torrens was DFA'd, that allowed Nelson Velasquez to stay. It showed that Nelson had earned his spot. Also showed the Cubs are willing to carry a fourth outfielder, um, something they hadn't done all season so far. And again with Nelson, like he's not in the lineup today against Miami uh, for the Caleb Killian start, but he's been playing a lot. He played the three games. The Bellinger was out. He DH'd yesterday, and he just needs time. He doesn't have to start seven days a week, six days a week. Get him in the lineup four or five times. He's power off the bench. He's got a lot of options. So the other roster change that I sort of talked about already, but Caleb Killian is up to start for the injured Jamison Tyone. So when Tyone was first out, they called up Javier Assad, but he's not stretched out yet, so that was effectively a bullpen game. The Cubs lined it up this time so that Caleb Killian could start. Now Caleb had you know the up and down year last year. He came in, made his major league debut against St. Louis, pitched a pretty strong game. I believe it was a quality start, six runs or uh, six innings, two runs. Um, then he struggled after that. He really lost his command, and he struggled when he went back down to Iowa. But this year, he had a disastrous first start. But since then, he's put together a couple pretty solid starts. So I'm interested to see which Caleb Killian we see today. If he controls his pitches, he's got a good defense behind him. Um, and the Cubs can stay in this game against Miami. So he's going to come up. And so the question there is, they cleared the roster spot for him because Brandon Hughes is going back to the injured list. He's not looked quite himself all season. So hopefully this time he can go back and, and get get right. But with the DFA of Torrens, that takes Torrens off the 40-man roster. So the right now the 26-man active roster is full, but there is an open um, 40-man spot, which is very interesting as we look ahead. So there are a number of guys in Iowa that we've talked about potentially coming up who are not on the 40-man. Matt Mervis is certainly one of them. In the bullpen, arms like Cam Sanders, Anthony Kay, Nick Birdie, and Vinny Natoli are not on the 40-man roster. Starting pitcher Riley Thompson is not on the 40-man roster. Um, I don't think they have imminent plans for Thompson. Otherwise, maybe he would have been up instead of Killian to make the start today and take taking that roster spot. But now with Hughes on the IL, the question is, what are they going to do after the start today? Jamison Tyone seems to be progressing quickly. He's eligible to come off the injured list on Tuesday. I don't know that he'll be back quite that soon. But the question is, will Tyone be back for his next start? If Tyone is back for his next start, that probably means Killian gets optioned back to the minors after this game in exchange for one of the relievers down there. And then that opens the door to taking somebody like Kay or Birdie, Cam Sanders, who is not on the 40-man. Or it could be, you know, Greg Husk on the show last week predicted that the Cubs would bring up Matt Mervis. Now that would come with a, probably a DFA of Hosmer. So this one particular roster spot maybe is really more aimed at a pitcher than a position player. But it kind of sets the table if the Cubs wanted to bring up Matt Mervis in Miami or bring him up for that Washington National Series, get him acclimated on the road first, kind of in his home territory, um, there's a spot for it. So we'll see how things go, but it'll be curious to see. I, I want to see how Killian pitches today, and I want to see what happens once he that game's over and, and see what they think about Tyone and how quickly he'll be back. Kyle Hendricks pitched a... Uh, Minor league rehab start yesterday, seemingly healthy. All the reports I've heard so far have been good. You know, his, his arm felt good. He got out there and threw. He got a couple strikeouts. 
Now, it's kind of alarming. You might look at the box score and see that he threw an inning in two-thirds, gave up six hits and six runs. I wouldn't worry too much about the stats on that. Um, Kyle Hendricks hadn't pitched in basically a year. So this is basically it was a spring training start for him. So he's out there trying to get feel, just get back on the mound, get comfortable, get in some game action, get that adrenaline going a little bit. Um, I'm sure he did not have his top-level command. That comes with the command and the feel come with time. And I think I would watch in the – I'm sure he'll make at least three rehab starts before he comes back, quite possibly more than that. So I would watch and see how does he progress. I wouldn't worry too much about giving up six runs in that particular game. And the final score of that game did wind up being, I think, 18-16, to 16, so it's not like anybody was really getting outs in that game. So I wouldn't worry too much about Hendricks yet. I would more focus on the reports on how he feels, how his arm responds, how quickly he's able to get back out there and can he just continue his throwing program and keep doing what he's been doing. Um, As long as he doesn't have to take time off, as long as he doesn't have regression or pain in that shoulder, I think I would take it as as a pretty positive sign. And also remember, this is Kyle Hendricks of 2023. This isn't Kyle Hendricks of 2016, 2017. Have the expectations that he doesn't have to be an ace on this team. He doesn't have to be the number one. He doesn't have to be the number two. He just has to come in and be able to be a number four or five starter. So that lowers the bar a little bit on what's good enough. The Cubs have Marcus Stroman throwing exceptionally well. He was a little off his command yesterday, so he wasn't able to get through seven innings like I'm sure he would have wanted. And the Cubs did lose that game 3-2. But he and Justin Steele have been fantastic. Um, Steele is... uh, from what I've seen, he's got the best record or best ERA in baseball going back to last year's All-Star break at about a buck oh five. So he's just throwing incredibly right now. He continues start after start after start to make quality pitches. Um, his, you know, his pitches into left lefties or sorry, his pitches into right-handers are working really, really well. He's getting a lot of weak contact, and as Tommy Hadovy's pointed out many times. He's having competitive misses, and he's actually getting some quality pitches when he misses a spot because he's not missing middle-middle. He's missing you know, in on the hands to a righty, up and in to a righty, um, low and away to a lefty. Like, you know, he's, he's putting the ball in good places so he can make competitive misses when he doesn't hit a spot. Drew Smiley has also been very good, and we'll see what, uh, what Caleb Killian can do. Hayden Wisniewski's been up and down. He had a really kind of a couple rough starts early, but he's right the ship a little bit. He's been pretty solid lately. So we'll see what he's able to do. Um, when we start getting into May, we're now the month of April is just about behind us. We're getting out of that kind of small sample size. Um, early on it's, you know, I mean, you give up a relief pitcher gives up two runs as ERA, you know, jumps 15 points. Um, so when we look at the stats, it's hard to, it's hard to really know what's going on. And I, there's an interesting one we're going to dig into in the main part of this episode. But for right now, I think a couple of the small sample size things you're seeing play out are the one is Michael Fulmer. So he came into the season as the Cubs closer and eh, he did okay. He was, he was getting a lot of weak contact. Um, he gave up a home run to Jared Kelenek, um, who's, you know, that's not exactly a uh, embarrassment this year. He's, he's kind of killing the ball and he's a former top major league prospect. So the guy can hit. And then he kind of got burned by some soft contact. So, but when you look at Fulmer's numbers now, I mean, his, his swing and miss is about as high as it's ever been in his career. He's given up a, like a ridiculous, like 440, 450 bad, bad, batting average on balls in play. And that just plays to a lot of luck. Now, some of it give up a home run, you know, obviously that's hard contact, but 
he's had a lot of outings where he's given up weak contact that didn't uh, didn't really amount to a whole lot, but balls get through, guys on base. You know, he's he's not really been walking guys, so it's it's really been that bad up that's kind of burned him. But he had a couple really bad outings in a row against the Dodgers, so that set him back. And now he came in last night in the sixth inning, and frankly, he was really good. He did he did walk the first guy, uh, but then he came back and made a bunch of quality pitches. Um, he was missing. He just he said his he has said his spin is his pitches aren't spinning the way he wants them to, and that's evident. He's had a lot of the the balls that have gotten hit hard have been kind of spun up there and missed middle middle, and you know, you're gonna pay for that. But he looked good last night. Um, he's had a couple good outings in a row now, and hopefully we can see him string together multiple outings. I don't think you'll see him in the ninth inning anytime soon. Um, certainly not, you know, for another few appearances. But for a bullpen that's kind of struggling to find consistency that bullpen is just walking too many guys he's someone who has already been on the bad side and the good and i'm hoping he can trend back i think long term when we get you know mid-season second half of the year i think we're going to look back and michael fulmer is going to be another one of those veteran guys the cubs brought in and made a key part of a pretty good bullpen he just unfortunately got off to a rough start had a couple blown saves in really close proximity in some big games and yeah that hurts that hurts his reputation with the fans I see a lot of things on Twitter about wanting him cut. That's ridiculous, and the Cubs aren't going to do it anyway. Uh, but they shouldn't. I mean, what we saw yesterday, that that's who he is. I mean, is he ever going to have a bad game again? Sure. But at some point, he's going to go you know, on a tear for three, four, five weeks and just be lights out. Another guy uh, who's gotten some criticism is Mancini. And Trey Mancini is a guy who he's always hit. He hits for power. Got off to a really slow start. Was really hitting poorly. But he's starting to come around now. He's had a couple home runs lately, and I think we're going to see him go. A guy who's gone in the other direction is Patrick Wisdom. Patrick Wisdom, for about two weeks, was just off the charts hot. Like, every ball he hit was scorched. He hit a ton of home runs. I think he's got nine. Um, he's a quality hitter. He's shown over the past couple seasons with the Cubs, past you know basically two seasons at this point, that he can hit major league pitching. Now, he may or may not, you could make an argument that he should or shouldn't be an everyday starter. I think now that he's cooling off a little bit, I think I, I still look at him more as that platoon guy. Um, but when he, when he's hot, he is hot. So get him in the lineup. Um, he kills lefties. So he's bare minimum. He's part of a platoon, but there are also certain profile righties that he hits reasonably well, but there are also um, right-handed types that he does not hit well. So I think ideally we see him as more of a, platoon plus kind of player um he's gonna get his bats he's gonna have his power i think it's at this point with his quick start i think it's as long as he can stay healthy i think it's fairly likely he hits 25 plus home runs but he's someone who i think maybe isn't that everyday player maybe if the cubs do decide to option edwin rios down to the minor leagues and bring up christopher morrell there's probably a way to get morrell a starter to a third base every week get him in the dh spot Maybe he fills in the outfield on occasion. And again, like we talked about with Velasquez and Mervis, those guys just need to play four to five times a week. So if they can, if they can find four starts, and I think David Ross is certainly capable of doing that, um, you can get those bats in the lineup. And again, there, there's variance. Now Christopher Morrell, one of the things he was tasked with this season when he went down was to work on his plate approach. Come in with a plan, execute that plan, do less you know, fishing for pitches, hopefully cut down the swing and miss, 
have better at bats. And he's he's cut that down, but he's still even in AAA, he's striking out close to thirty percent of the time. So I'm actually fine with Morel staying down, but he is so hot. I mean, his OPS is like um one forty um or one point four. Um he is just crushing it. I mean, he seems like he hits two homers every day. But he's got to work on that K rate. And I think that's the balance. It, it, it sort of comes down to where the Cubs see him. You know, do the Cubs see him as a utility player who's going to start, you know, three to four times a week? And that's what they see him as for his career. If that's the case, maybe it is time to bring him up and see if he can keep that K rate down under 30%. I think with his power, his speed, his electricity, I think you can live with Christopher Morel at 30% strikeout rate. What you can't do is at the end of last season when he was striking out 40% plus, you know, that's too much. So what do they see him as? If they see him as, hey, we think this kid could be our third baseman for the next five years, then you probably do keep him down. You want him playing every day. You want him playing a lot of third base so he can get those reps defensively. And then at some point later this season, you call him up. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him when he comes up, if he comes up, and what he does when he gets here. But, you know, so on the roster construction side, I think there's a lot of options still. And I still want to see. I think over the next couple months, I think we're going to get some better reads on Julian Merriweather. Um, I've not typically been super high on Michael Rucker, but he's been pitching a lot better lately. And then yesterday he comes out and hits two guys in the ninth inning, and they wind up losing the game. So I don't know... I think the jury's still out on him, but the Cubs obviously see some stuff they like there. I think Julia Merriweather is potentially at risk. I think obviously Rios. I think Hosmer's at risk. And we'll see. There may be some trades at some point this season too. But one thing that's very, very nice to have is last year the Cubs were just like, who can we find that we can put out there that can make a productive at bat or get through a productive inning? Now we're starting to see like, we want to see Christopher Morrell in the majors. We want to see Nelson Velasquez in the majors. We want to see Matt Mervis in the majors. We want to see some of those Iowa bullpen arms up in the majors. And it's a good problem to have. And as the, you know, the double A team might be the strongest roster in the system right now, as those guys keep pushing up, it's going to create a really good problem to have. It's, it's, it's going to be frustrating and some fans are going to be complaining and they want to see this guy or that guy. But the nice thing is there is talent there waiting to get up, and those guys have to fight for their time. And I think that competition is going to be nothing but good for the Cubs. It's going to be trading depth. Um, I don't see the Cubs as major traders either way this year unless somehow the season really turns and goes south. But if they keep doing what they're doing, if they're getting consistent starting pitching, playing good defense, hitting the ball, getting guys on base, and scoring at a – Maybe not lead the league clip, but if, if they're scoring at a pretty good clip, you know, four and a half plus runs a game, I think that's a team that's not likely to sell at the deadline. I still see people on Twitter and other social media places talking about trading Bellinger. You got to get something for him at the deadline if he's hitting, trading Stroman ahead of him probably opting out of his contract. If you're contending, you don't sell. That's just a loser play. Um, if you're contending, you play to win. That might mean you lose Bellinger in the off season for nothing when he goes and signs a big contract with somebody. That's awesome. If, if he goes and signs somewhere for $22 million a year, that means he really helped the Cubs out this year. And that's what I want to see. And as we've seen in the past couple of years, you're not guaranteed anything. I mean, look at the, 
look across town at the White Sox. You know, they they took a team that was pretty good, probably not World Series good, but probably good enough to compete for the playoffs. Completely dismantled it, traded it for parts, and built up a farm system that you know made a big splash and looked like they were really going to have a long window. And that window is looks like it's just about over. And I would just be sick if the Cubs had a team that had a chance to make the postseason and then just took two, three, four of the top players and, and went on a selling spree again. And what is that? what kind of message does that send heading into the next offseason? You know, I think we talk, I talk a lot about Shohei Otani on this, on this podcast, and I really like him. I really think the Cubs should go and sign him. If he's available by trade, I think the Cubs should trade for him. However, he's made it clear he wants to leave the Angels because he wants to win. And so in order to get that caliber of free agent, the Cubs had to do this with Dansby Swanson this year. You know, if you want that guy, you have to put together your plan. How, how do you think you're going to win? What is your plan? How are you going to get from where you are today to the playoffs? And obviously part of it is bringing in that talent. But if the Cubs come in and then they wind up, they trade Stroman, they trade Ballinger, they're, maybe they're, they're in the playoff race, or they're fighting for the division, and they just sort of belly up and trade those guys away. Like, if I'm Otani, I probably cross the Cubs right off my list because what are they doing? Um, you've got Swanson for seven years, and you've got now with Ian Happ and Nico Horner extended, you've got about a three or four year window with those guys, with Happ and Horner and Swanson and say a Suzuki all together, um, with Justin Steele potentially with Marcus Stroman if they're able to, if he either doesn't opt out or the Cubs are able to extend him before he hits free agency. I mean, you want to take that window and you want to take advantage of every chance you can to get to the playoffs. So that's my thinking on that. Well, that's a topic we'll obviously continue to hit as the season goes on. The one topic I wanted to get into today is catcher metrics. So I saw, I've seen an interesting stat. I've kind of been tracking it since it was in, it kind of became clear that Gome, the, the Cubs were 10 and one in games that Gome started um, at this point, the Cubs are 11 and four when Gomes starts, and they're three and seven when Barnhart starts. And it just kind of looked to me like an interesting problem. So, is there anything to that? Is there something about Gomes that's better than Barnhart, or are we still in small sample size? You know, for all the metrics I'm going to talk about with catcher metrics, because they're splitting time so much, neither guy has actually qualified the minimum number of innings to you know lead these categories or anything. So. It is very small sample size, but I thought it'd be worth digging into, talk about catcher metrics a little bit and see, is there something in the numbers that really shows why the Cubs are winning when Gomes is in there? Now, it may be as simple as Gomes is far superior offensively at this point. I mean, he has, he's posted a 130 WRC plus this year. He's got five homers and Barnhart's posted a 33 WRC plus and hasn't done a whole lot. And traditionally... Gomes is a better hitter than Barnhart, but neither one of them are, are great. And the odds of Gomes keeping this up all season are pretty low. Like his last, his previous three seasons, last year he had a WRC plus of 73. The year before was 94. And then in the shortened 2020 season, he was a 105. And again, you guys know this, but WRC plus is a offensive, it's weighted runs created. It's a fan graph metric. And it's meant to, you know, the league average hitter is 100. And so you, if you're above 100, you're above average. If you're below 100, you're below average. So these guys are not offensive catchers. So it may be, though, that Jan has been so hot lately that the offense he's contributing is maybe making more of a difference than 
um, than Barnhart. But I found it interesting because I also wanted to look and see, you know, if, if Gomes was always catching, you know, Stroman and Steele and Barnhart was always catching Tyone and Wesneski, that might be the difference there. Like one guy's catching, you know, the top two guys in your rotation and the other guy's, you know, catching more of the bottom part of the rotation. But it's really been a pretty good split. I mean, you know, they're each 500 with Stroman. Gomes is two and the Cubs are two and two in games that Gomes starts with Stroman and they're one on one with Stroman and Barnhart. You know, with Gomes has called a little bit more steel. They're three and oh, and, and steel starts and, and one and one Barnhart starts with steel. Um, neither guy has won a game with Tyone. Um, Gomes three and one with Smiley and Barnhart's 0 and one. And then, you know, the Cubs are four and one and starts with Wisniewski and Gomes is three and out there and, and Barnhart's one and one. So they're both getting spread out. They're both catching all the starters multiple times. So I'm not sure that that's really a, a big indicator here. Um, so we'll talk through some catcher metrics and see, you know, if we think it's, if there's something to it at this point or if it's too early and it is maybe just noise. So I think when you look at catchers, there are a few categories you really want to pay attention to. Um, there's the overall defense, and a good metric for that is defensive runs saved, you know, DRS. There's also stolen base prevention. There are a couple metrics there. Um, one I'll use today is a fan graph metric, RSB, which is basically runs prevented by controlling the, the running game. Um, there's blocking, so whether it's wild pitches or pass balls, you, know, you want the catcher to, as you hear at every little league field ever, be a wall back there, kid. Um you know, you want to stop balls in the dirt, you know, keep guys on wherever they're, whatever base they're on. And on, uh, certainly like I know two waste pitches, you want to make sure, you know, they get those and can tag the runner out or throw them out and not have to chase the ball away to the backstop. There's also pitch framing. So we'll get into some pitch framing numbers, both from fan graphs. And there's some really good stuff at baseball savant that uses Statcast data. And then overall game management. This is the, probably the toughest one to measure. And probably this is where the difference comes in. If there's a difference, Um, But there's not a lot to measure. So you've got the game call, but calling pitches, it's hard to know exactly, you know, you see sometimes a pitcher will shake. Um, Sometimes a pitcher will shake and that's a planned shake. Like, hey, we're going to throw the curveball here, but I want you to, you know, shake, shake me off. Um, But is the, was that particular pitch called by the dugout? Was it called by the catcher? Was it called by the pitcher shaking off the, catcher and, and getting what the pitcher wants to throw. So there's a game management sense, but it's really hard to be able to statistically measure and say, Jan Gomes is responsible for this amount, you know, but, but there are some metrics that try. So we'll talk a little bit about catcher ERA um, from fan graphs. So the first one I'll dig into, we'll talk about stolen base prevention, or let's talk about total defense first. Sorry. So in the total defensive sense, that is defensive run saved. Um, Gomes and Barnhart are both a zero so far, but like I said, neither one has caught enough innings to, to qualify. And this is something you build up over time. The, the leader right now is William Contreras at, at six defensive runs saved. Um, in the previous three years, Gomes has been five, five and minus three. Um, the last three years for Barnhart were minus eight, zero, and then eight, three years ago. Um, so one thing you can see right there, and this will play out in the other statistics too, Barnard has a great defensive reputation, but he did not have a good year last year. He did not have a good year offensively or a good year defensively. 
Now, that was also with the Detroit Tigers team. That was a huge disappointment. Javier Baez, as some of the Cubs fans are very much well aware of, he had a terrible year last year too, defensively also. So it could be a sign that Barnhart's declining, or it could be it was just one of those years on a crappy team in a crappy city where nobody wanted to be. Um, so we'll see. And Gomes, you know, has been solid. He was good for the Cubs last year. Um, but three years ago, he had a bad season, and that's reflected in, in most of his numbers. So total defense, I don't see anything there that really makes Gomes stand out over Barnhart. We'll see over over the course of the year how that plays out. So let's go to stolen base prevention. And this is something that the Cubs are doing a very, very good job of. Um, it doesn't so much show up in this metric, the RSB from Fangraphs. Gomes is a one and Barnhart's a zero. So that's basically runs saved by controlling the you know the the running game. But in stolen base prevention, there are multiple components. There's also the pitcher component. Or is the pitcher quick to home plate? Is the pitcher paying attention to the runner? Um, is the runner picking good pitches to run on? I mean, you get somebody with a slow curveball or they pick a spot, they decide to run when the when the ball is going in the dirt. Um, you know, there are options there. Um, the leader is at three. But the Cubs are eighth best in baseball at limiting stolen bases. They've only given up 15. So teams are not running very much on the Cubs. And it could be because of the reputations of those guys behind the plate. Now, last year, Barnhart was negative two. He was negative one the year before that. But then he was at two the previous year. Gomes' last three seasons are three, three, and negative two. So, you know, the, the stolen base prevention game is strong for the Cubs. And for fielding, I mean, for blocking is the next one. You know, the, the Cubs have only given up, they're middle of the pack. They've given up two pass balls, eight wild pitches. Um, there's a stat, RGFP, which is basically run uh, runs saved on pass pitches. Um, and Cub, Barnhart and, and Gomes are both a zero. They've both been strong in the past. Gomes' last three seasons are one, four, and two. And Barnhart's two, five, and three. When we look at pitch framing, there's some really good, interesting things on baseballsavant.com. They use StatCast data, and one of the things they look at is the strike rate. So you take those pitches that are in the, uh, you know, the kind of the outer zone of the strike zone, and then like just outside that, there's a band where that's where the difference calls are. So when you're framing, you're going to pull the ball maybe from just outside the zone to make it look like it was in the zone. Um, and you certainly want to catch in a way that you don't lose the strike call. So you don't want to take something that's, you know, right on the black and you're moving your glove away from the plate. Um, both Gomes and Barnhart do a pretty good job of that. Right now, Barnhart's actually got a little bit higher strike rate than Gomes. Um, 46.5% for Gomes, 46.7 is league average, and then Barnhart's at 49.8%. Now, that rate in and of itself doesn't necessarily say a ton. I mean, it tells you if you're above or below league average, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that Barnhart's doing a better job than Gomes. It may just be the actual collection of pitches that they've seen so far. So we can watch that over time and see how they go. Overall on frame rating, you know, um, Gomes is 29th and Barnhart's 46th. But when you look at it that way, you know, it has a lot of, it, it includes a lot of people that have only caught a couple innings. So like I said earlier, neither one of those guys has caught enough to really qualify for any kind of like league leadership or anything like that. But, Baseball savant will break things down into zones. So when you look at where Gomes is really strong, he he does a really good job in the what's called zone 17. So that's the is your 
the pitcher facing the hitter, the low way corner to a right-hander. And he's also really strong in zone 19, which is the low in corner to the right-hander. Um, he's a little bit weak up the middle, um, or up and up in middle. And then he's also a little bit weak in zone 13, which is up in, in corner to a right-hander. Um, Barnhart, you know, he's, he's a little bit weak in, well, there's one area they're both weak in. So zone 12, which is that high middle pitch, um, Gomes is weak there. And so is Barnhart. Barnhart's weak in zone 11, which is that up away corner to right-handers. And he's weak at 14, which is the outside middle, um, part of the plate. And then 17, which is the low way corner to right-hander. So he's got some weaknesses where Gomes is strong. And then strong zones, um, you know, Barnhart's really good in zone 16, 18, 19, which is that, that's the low pitches. So Barnhart's strong, low away, low middle, and low end to right-handers. And it's interesting. So, you know, last year, Gomes' numbers uh, were pretty similar and Barnhart's were pretty similar. And they both have seen that trend. So, Barnhart has traditionally been strong on those low pitches and a little bit weak on the higher ones. And you can see that in last year's data. You can see it in 2021. Um, those are interesting numbers to to follow. I don't think to really try to make a difference out of there, I would really have to line up and see how much they've caught each pitcher to see which pitcher is being helped or hurt in certain spots of those zones. Um, but right now the numbers aren't different enough between the two catchers to be able to really tell anything. So then that takes us down to game management. And there's the, the catcher ERA stat, um, which is interesting. But again, like small sample sizes are still in play and they both have a catcher ERA of zero. So no real runs prevented. Um, the leader in baseball is three, has a catcher ERA of three. And so, again, you know, Barnhart's and Gomes' numbers kind of line up with what the rest of them did. They, you know, Gomes has been pretty strong except for three years ago, and Barnhart's been pretty strong except for last year. So at this point, it's gotten some attention on social media. I don't know that there's a lot to it, We've and we've already seen it come down. You know, Gomes was 10-1, and one and now he's 11-3. and three. So the Cubs have kind of cooled off in games he started. But did they? I mean, it's because they played the Dodgers and lost the game to San Diego. Um, so we'll just see over time if, if that continues to play out. Um, certainly if one guy, you know, there's not a personal catcher situation here. So I would, you know, if I went back and looked at the 2016 Cubs, David Ross was John Lester's personal catcher and John Lester had a hell of a year. So Ross's numbers would certainly be elevated in that sense. But right now I, th- I think they're getting spread around. I think they're doing roughly equivalent jobs. And, it, you know, the difference may just be the amount of offense that Gomes is providing. So um, a lot to follow this this week. Um, hopefully the Cubs can take the series with Miami. They lost the first game. The, like I said, we've got Caleb Killian starting tonight. And we'll see where things go from here. Then they've got four against the Nationals. The, they're not a good team. Hopefully the Cubs can go out there and take three of four. Um, I hope Greg, is, Greg House is right and we do see Matt Mervis next week. But if not, hopefully he continues to get good playing time, stay healthy, and just be ready when his number's called. And then after that national series, they come back for three more against Miami. So another case of, just like we saw with the Dodgers, the Cubs are going to finish the season series with a team in about 10 days. So they're going to avoid Sandy Alcantara this time. I'm going to guess they won't be so lucky um, the second series. But hey, maybe the Cubs can scratch out some hits. They've beaten Urias twice. Um, They've beaten some good pitchers so far. So 
We'll see. But a lot to watch for. Continue to watch those roster moves. That's going to tell us a lot about what the Cubs think their chances are as the season goes on and what they need to improve. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked the discussion, or maybe especially if you didn't, please drop a rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcasts. Or tell a friend about the show. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all at CubsPS+. And check out the Patreon page, CubsPSPlus.Patreon.com, to help support the show and keep it ad-free. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball, we're talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!